Good morning. My name is Jeff Wilkins, and uh, it's a joy to be with you this morning. They, they put me on a, a really small stage so I can't wander. I was told that the guy running the camera last week had a hard time following me. He looked at the camera, and I was gone. Rapture. No. Different denomination. Hey, great to, great to be with you. Yeah, a little levity. I want to begin this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 4. And to get our juices flowing, I want to ask a couple of questions. Question number one. Where is Jesus right now? Question number two. What's he doing? You might think that those sound like silly questions, but they're actually not. Um, if you have been a Christian for any length of time, you, know, you no doubt know a lot about what we just sang, that Jesus paid it all, the finished work of Christ. If you're not a Christian, you probably know about the finished work of Christ, although you don't call it that. You talk about well, yeah, I heard that Jesus died on the cross. When we talk about the finished work of Christ, that's what we're talking about. The, the, the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, his once for all atoning sacrifice for our sins, in the words of the prophet Isaiah, on the cross, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. What the finished work of Christ refers to is the sacrificial work of Christ on the cross. When Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. That's what he was talking about. There is no need for another sacrifice because Jesus made the perfect and final sacrifice. That is the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived, and he died the death that you and I should have died so that we might be called the sons and daughters of God. But here's the question. What's Jesus been doing since then? What's Jesus been doing in the last 2,000 years? I ask that question because for many of us, our functional Jesus isn't really doing anything right now. But does that really make sense? I mean, think about it. If Jesus' heart was flowing forth in the, in a burst of love and mercy that led him to the cross, is it reasonable to assume that now, he, now his passionate love for us has cooled down, has, has dissipated, or that he has settled into a kindly indifference? Of course it doesn't. Jesus Christ's love for us is a steady reality flowing through all of time. Jesus loved you with love before the foundations of the earth, and he will love you perfectly 
for all of eternity. So the question is, what has, been, what has Jesus been doing these last 2,000 years? And more importantly, what is he doing right now? Well, with that, would you stand for the hearing of God's word? This is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he all, uh, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Beloved, there's my opinion, and there's your opinion, and then there's the Word of God. What we have just read is the very Word of God. We should ask that He would teach us. Pray with me, would you? Father, Son, and Spirit, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You have not left us alone to make sins out of life on our own, but that You have, have spoken to us. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see, that we might behold you in your beauty, that we might be able to taste and see that you are good. Lord, would you, would you comfort those who need to be comforted and convict those who need to be convicted, as Paul said earlier? Would you lead all of us to the, to the throne of grace? And would you, would you change us? Would you make us more like Jesus because of our time that we've spent together? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So, let me ask again, where is Jesus right now? You know the answer. After rising from the dead, spending 40 days with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God, in ascending into heaven, the very last sentence of verse 3 of our passage says, After making purifications for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Where is Jesus right now? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. This is what theologians call the session of Christ. Session literally means his sitting. Now, when the New Testament speaks of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, it's not saying that after 33 years of walking this earth and after the grueling and gruesome death on the cross, Jesus is now catching his breath. That Jesus is sort of pressing pause, that he's kind of kicking back in the heavenly uh, uh, chaise lounge chair and resting up for his return. When the New Testament speaks of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, it is saying what's being declared right now in the heavenly places. Do you know what 
the heavenly beings, the angels, the redeemed are saying right now to Jesus, they are saying worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see, Jesus taking his seat at the right hand of God the Father is his coronation as king of the universe. Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father is his enthronement. What this sitting at the right hand of God tells us is that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, Jesus is God. Jesus is equal to God the Father. He is invested with the same divine authority and power as God the Father. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Of course, if you're a believer, you know that and you believe that. But what you might not appreciate is that in sitting at the right hand of God, Jesus the Christ continues his work both in us and through us to bless us that we might be a blessing to the nations. And he does this as our prophet, priest, and king. Well, what do I mean? Well, let's think about that second question. What is Jesus doing right now? The first thing that we see in Hebrews chapter 1 is that God has spoken to us through Jesus. Look, look at verse 1 and verse 2. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Folks, Jesus did not personally go and speak to these people in person. And yet, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus has spoken to us. It's not that, that they're just reading about him. He's spoken to them. Jesus is, is a speaking God. God has spoken to us through Jesus. God the Father has revealed himself in his ways to us in the person, in the work, in the word of Jesus. If you want to know what God the Father is like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. All you have to do is listen to Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God, continues to speak to us and all of your heresy radars go up and start blinking, but just hear me out. Our confession, our catechism is part of our confession, but our confession, which is nothing more than a summary of what the Bible teaches about a number of different topics, says that Jesus is our prophet. And as our prophet, it says that Jesus speaks to us by his word and spirit. When Jesus walked the earth, he understood that his words were nothing less than the very word of God. In John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speaking just as the Father taught me. And before leaving, Jesus makes careful provision for the continuation of his prophetic ministry after his departure. In John 16, he sits down with his disciples and he says this, 
when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In Acts chapter 2, after Christ ascends to heaven, what happens? He, he pours out his Holy Spirit upon his people. What does Luke, the author of Acts, tell us that the earliest Christians devoted themselves to? Chapter 2, verse 43, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, why would they do that? Because the earliest Christians believed that the apostles' teaching was nothing less than Jesus' teaching. Now, why would they believe that? Because they believed what the apostle Peter writes. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is why the Apostle Paul can say when writing to the church in Ephesus that even though Jesus never physically visited the church in Ephesus, he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, how can Paul say that when Christ came, when, when that Christ never came and preached personally to the church in Ephesus? It's the same reason that the author of Hebrews can say that Jesus has spoken to us. God's word is his word. Jesus continues to speak to us by his word, by his spirit. But that's not all. Right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and he is speaking to us. What do I mean? By his word... And spirit. Jesus is bringing people to faith in his name. By his word and spirit, Jesus is bringing people into fellowship with him and the Father. By his word and spirit, Jesus is transforming us. He is contradicting us. And he is conforming us more and more into the image of Christ. By his word and spirit, Jesus is maturing us, growing us up into him who is the head, into Christ. And by his word, Jesus is comforting us. The author of Hebrews puts it like this. He says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Why? As Paul says in his letter to the church in Ephesus, because it is the sword of the spirit who is the Spirit of Christ. And here's what you have to remember. Jesus' word to believers is always good. It is always gracious. It is always loving. It is always kind. It, is all, it always builds us up. It is always in our best interest. Now, it's not to say that Jesus never challenges us or never contradicts us. He is God and we are not. He is good and we are not. He's going to say things to us that cross us, that challenge us, that contradict us. 
that are personally hard to hear and, and things that are culturally uncomfortable, even culturally offensive. I was reading a letter by John Newton this morning and was reminded of what Paul writes in Romans 8. That to the unbelieving mind, that the unbelieving mind is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But here's the thing. For believers, we say what Simon Peter said to Jesus in John 6. You have the words of eternal life. So how do we we hear him? Quite simply, if you want to hear him speak, you've got to spend time with him. Time with him in his word and in prayer. You've got to make time for the word and for prayer, both privately and as you gather together as the people of God. Because this is how God speaks to us, through his word and by his spirit. Now, I'm guessing that at least some of you are feeling a little anxious in this moment. Um, You've got 10 balls in the air, and I've just thrown you an 11th ball, and you don't know what to do with that. And I don't know what to say except this, that if you want to succeed in your career, you've, you've got to put in the time. If you want to have a good marriage, it takes time and effort and focus. If, if, if you want to learn how to play an instrument, you've got to practice. If you want stronger muscles, you've got to go to the gym. Friends, if, if you want to know Jesus, and if you want to hear him speak, it takes time. It takes his word, it takes prayer, it takes the Christian community, it takes making God's means of grace, which are the ways he has promised to speak to us and to grow us up. It, it, it takes making those things a priority. Others of you might be thinking, but Jeff, the Bible, it, it's so confusing. I mean, every year I sort of dedicate myself, I'm going to read the Bible this year, and you make it through Genesis And you make it through the first half of Exodus, and then you hit the law, and you slow down. And you maybe you make it through the law in the building of the tabernacle, and then you get to Leviticus, and (laughs) it's all this blood sacrifice stuff, and you end up closing your Bible, and you don't know what to do with it. Um, May I make a recommendation? My recommendation to you is you should read your Bible, but... As a companion to help you understand, you should check out The Bible Project. It's on the internet. Just Google The Bible Project. They've got these videos, these overviews of each book of the Bible that help you understand how each book works and how it fits into God's big story and how every passage points to Jesus. They've got videos on various themes like shalom and the kingdom of God and grace and the son of man. And they've got a reading calendar that can help walk you through your reading of the Bible. But here's what you have to keep in mind. The goal isn't just to read the Bible. The goal is to know 
Jesus. The goal is to hear him speak by the Spirit through the Word. As you prayerfully and thoughtfully read the Bible, as you get to know Jesus better, how should you respond? Do you remember what God the Father said to Peter, James, and John when he appeared to them? Jesus took them up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and a cloud came over, and the Father spoke to Peter, James, and John. And it said this, and he said this, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Now, when God says to Peter, James, and John, listen to him, he's not saying, take Jesus' words under consideration. And if you find them persuasive, if they seem to make sense to you, then you might want to do what he says to do. No. Listening means full submission. Full submission to Jesus' teaching regardless of your preconceived opinion, regardless of how you feel, and regardless of the current temperature of our culture. Do you, do you remember how Wesley responded to Buttercup's command in The Princess Bride? She would say, farm boy, do this. Farm boy, do that. Do you remember how Wesley would respond? As you wish. That's what it means to listen. That's how we are to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking by the Spirit and the Word. Listening means obeying. As James puts it, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. What is Jesus doing right now? The first thing that he's doing is he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, is he is lovingly, graciously speaking by his word and spirit. And the question that you have to ask yourself is Am I listening? The second thing that Jesus sitting at the right hand of God means is that he is ruling and reigning over all creation. Verse, let me see, Um, verses, verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the king. And if you're a Christian, he is your king, sitting at the right hand of majesty on high at this very moment. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning as sovereign, as king, as Lord, not as some divine tyrant, not as a cosmic killjoy, but as the lover of our souls, as our sovereign groom. Now, why do I tell you that? It's because what Jesus' kingship means is that everything and everyone is under his rule, including you and me. Jesus, as your king and as my king, 
has authority over the sex we have, the money we spend, the food we eat, the websites we browse, the places we visit, the ideas we entertain, the friends we embrace, the shows we watch, the drinks we consume, the hobbies we pursue, the play we enjoy, and the work that we do. And you hear that, and if you're like me, your spine sort of gets tight. And I would encourage you to listen to Jesus' word in Matthew 11. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beloved, what you have to understand is that Jesus' ways are what you were created for. Jesus' ways are the path of flourishing. They are not a burden. They are blessings. Now here's the application question. Are you submitting to his authority? And when you fail, which if you're like me is all the time, um, are you repenting? Not just feeling bad, not just feeling sorry, not just coming under the conviction of sin, but are you actually repenting? Turning away from your sin and turning to Jesus and crying out, forgive me and change me. I long for you to be my heart's one desire. You see, obedience, repentance, and faith are the Christian's waltz. They are the Christian's three-step. They are the dance that we dance until we see Jesus face to face. There's another implication of Christ's kingship, and it is this, is the fact that he is working, he is at work in everything we experience. In fact, he's at work in everything we have to endure for his glory and for our good. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1, he, God the Father, put all things under his Jesus' feet, and gave him his head over his church, over all things, to the church, which is his body. What Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ is head over all things for the church, for you, for me. In other words, Christ exercises his kingship over the cosmos for the blessing and benefit of his people. Now, no doubt, some of you are thinking, it sure doesn't feel like the Lord Jesus Christ is ruling, all, ru- ruling over all of the cosmos for my benefit. My life is characterized by exhaustion as I chase around my young children. My life is characterized by disappointment because I didn't get the job or I didn't get into the school I, I'd hoped to. My job is characterized by real physical pain because my body seems to be breaking down. My life is characterized by depression because I'm chemically imbalanced. My my life is characterized by discouragement because it feels like my marriage is falling apart. Or my life is characterized by hopelessness because it feels like I'm never going to get married. In another letter by John Newton to a pastor friend, he writes... Everything is necessary that God sends our way 
Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Those are words I've thought long and hard about. What is our king doing in these hard times? Think about a bird sitting on one of the lower branches of a tree. You walk up to that tree, and what does the bird do? The bird perhaps leaves that lower branch and and goes to a higher branch. Then you take a hammock and you tie a hammock to that tree and you get into that hammock. What does the bird do? The bird hops up to a higher branch and perhaps even flies away. Beloved, that's the way God works with us. The Lord will not let us get comfortable or grow complacent with the branches that we're sitting on. Instead, What he wants is to drive us out of the tree of complacency and comfort and into his loving arms. This is the heart of our king for us. The Lord Jesus loves us as we are, but he also loves us enough not to leave us as we are. And the hard things we experience, the Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 1. God allows hard things in our lives to make us not rely upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What what do we do with this? How do we apply this? I encourage you, you need to look back on yesterday, last month, last year, your whole life, and, and remember how God has met you. And comforted you, particularly in your past trials and sufferings. You need to think back on your life to times when you felt like you were staring down the barrel of a loaded gun. And you need to recall how God graciously delivered you from your greatest fear. You need to consider how God has graciously used the struggles and the difficulties in your life to grow in you a greater sense of dependence upon him, that you might be able to say with your whole heart, my only comfort in life and death is that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. May, May I make another suggestion? How about taking some time today and reflecting and perhaps even recording, writing down, journaling some of the times and the ways that you've experienced God's work in your life, particularly in the hard times. Maybe you didn't get the job you hoped for, and then you watched the person who got that job get chewed up and spit out, and you realized in that moment God was actually protecting you. Maybe you were diagnosed with a serious illness and you found yourself praying in a way that you've never prayed before and and knowing the presence, the closeness of God. Maybe you went through a very difficult season at work or with one of your children and, and God has used that difficult season to unite your heart more closely to your husband or wife. 
Do you have stories like that? If you're a believer, you do. Remember them. Record them. Write them down and review them. Beloved, the fact that Jesus rules and reigns over all things mean that blessings and wounds are equally from his hand and equally tokens of his love and care for us. And you think, I'm not, I'm not sure I buy that. How can I know that that's not just wishful thinking? That, that Jesus' word to me is a word of love and grace and kindness. That even his words to me that contradict me and challenge me, call me out, are actually meant for my good. How can I know that, that all this isn't just pie in the sky by and by, that Jesus is ruling and reigning over all of creation, over all things good and bad, are ultimately for my benefit and blessing? How, how can I know that? Well, in verse 3, the author of Hebrews writes, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's your answer. After making purification for sins. Beloved, this is the Jesus who sits on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. He is not only a prophet. He is not only a king but he is our priest who doesn't just make the perfect sacrifice for our sins, but who is our perfect sacrifice. This gets me every time. Jesus says to his disciples and he says to us, greater love has no one than this then someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did in order to make this purification for our sins. As the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sakes, he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know what he's doing right now? As your priest, he is not only your perfect sacrifice, but he is also praying for you. The author of Hebrews tells us later in his book that Jesus is able to save, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for you right now. He's talking to his Father about you right now. What is Jesus praying when he intercedes for us? He's, he's pleading for us against all the accusations of Satan, the world, and, and even the condemnation that we bring upon ourselves, the doubts, the fears. He is making our praises. He is making our thanksgiving. He is making our worship pleasing to the Father, assuring us 
of free and confident access before the throne of grace. And out of his fullness, he is sending all the benefits and all the blessings of grace. And the basis of his intercession is nothing less than his atoning death on the cross. One pastor put it like this. He writes, Christ's intercession applies what the atonement accomplished. Christ's presently, present heavenly intercession on our behalf is a reflection of the fullness and victory and completeness of his earthly work. The atonement accomplished our salvation. Intercession is the moment-by-moment moment application of that atoning work. In the past, Jesus did what he now talks about. In the present, Jesus talks about what he did in the past. But more than that, Jesus' intercession reveals his heart for us. His heart for you, his heart for me. That he, he knows us to the core of our being. He knows what we're experiencing. He knows what we're going through. He knows our fears and our fair-weathered faith and our failures. He knows. And yet he prays. He prays for us. His posture right now as he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, his disposition, his deepest desire is to pour out his loving heart on our behalf to the Father. And the Father's deepest delight is to say yes and amen to his son's pleading on our behalf. The question for us today is, won't you trust him to do what you can't do for yourself? Won't you trust him to keep his promise that I will, do, I will complete the good work that I have begun in you, that I will never leave you, that I will never forsake you, that I love you with a love that will never let you go? Won't you look to him in faith to save you to the utmost? Beloved, Jesus the Christ is our prophet, our priest, and our king. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now, and he continues to speak to you by his word and spirit. Are you listening? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning over all creation and ruling and reigning over you, are you submitting to his good and gracious authority? And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God right now, interceding for you. Can't you trust him, even in the face of your brokenness and sin? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our prophet, priest, and king. Thank you that you can save us and you will save us to the uttermost. Oh, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Enable us by your grace to listen to you, to love you, to walk in your ways. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.